0: Welcome to episode 20. Nice round number of Rail Talk. My name is Joe Bianca. I'm an ownership advisor at West Point Thoroughbreds. And John, do you know which country has the highest and lowest points in both the western and southern hemispheres?
1: I didn't know there was going to be math or geography on this podcast. I didn't.
0: It's Argentina, one of my favorite countries in the world. I know you love Argentina, too,
1: John. Well, you know, the racing down there is is spicy um, and and people love it. Uh, they don't, There's almost a fandom that, that follows these horses around. So, yeah, go Argentina. We're very big fans of yours. Oh, Jonathan Green, general manager at DJ Stable. Joe, this show is almost legal enough to drink in all 50 states.
0: Well, that never stopped me in any states, but we're happy that we've reached this milestone. Cheers. Rail Talk is sponsored by the Green Group. The Green Group is the number one accounting firm in the horse business. And there's one reason. No other CPA firm knows the horse industry like they do. Lang Green owns over 200 horses and his DJ stable has won over 2,500 races, which is just an insane, incomprehensible number. Green Group's got over 800 clients in the horse business because they make them money and they save them taxes. And here's a special offer. This is the first time we've done this, an exclusive offer. For listeners of Rail Talk, Len is offering a complimentary and confidential half-hour consultation. He guarantees you'll get value. You can call him. I'll put this number on the bottom at 732-634-5100. That's how confident he is. Len is giving out his phone number on a show that has hundreds of thousands of viewers all over the world. Call him and do it before year end so he can prove to you that he'll save you taxes he guarantees, unequivocally, guarantees he'll find you value and savings, and he'll donate to your favorite charity or whatever you want if you can't. He's not worried. He's always found value before, and he knows he can do it for you. Check them out at greenco.com. Give Len a call for that consultation. This was something we we saw because of Johnny Green's exclusive access in the industry about a month or so ago, and it hadn't been released yet to the public, and now it is, so we want to talk about it. PETA, Yes, that's a dirty four-letter word in this industry. But PETA has released a proposal to reform the two-year-old sales, and it's pretty interesting. I will say that this is kind of PETA's downfall. Is that if you Google search for PETA two-year-old training sales, the top two uh, results are PETA video two-year-old thoroughbreds race to death, and then the killing of juvenile horses at under-tax shows. And then the third one down is. The One Word Solution, the two-year-olds in race training. It's actually a really fascinating, well-researched, well-thought-out proposal and they could do with a little less of the sensationalism that you got to wade through to get to these things but basically i'm going to let john mostly expound on this because he has more experience with the two-year-old sales than i do but basically the gist of it is you you don't they don't want to abolish the two-year-old sales at least that's what they say up front what they want to do is reform them to push them later in the year later in the calendar so the horses are older and theoretically more developed by that point so they want to push it to the fall And the other main thing is they want to have four and five furlong breezes as opposed to the one and two furlong breezes that the horses are pushed through right now. And if you want to go read this proposal, you can actually do it on the Rail Talk website. Go to railtalkmedia.com. Go to the little menu in the top right and go down to join the conversation. We've got a link to the proposal and we've got a a little bit of a summation of it because we want to get your opinion as well. We want to get the, the listeners and the viewers opinions as to this proposal, how realistic it is, how beneficial it could be, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, what do you think Peter's motivations are? So we want you in the conversation. But I also want John Green in the conversation because he's bought a lot of two-year-olds, been to a lot of two-year-old sales. What was your first opinion after reading this, John?
1: When I first read the uh, the proposal, I, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, Joe. I kept waiting for Peter to, to say how terrible this was and, um, you know, the horses are being asked to do things that are unnatural and that we should abolish the two-year-old sales altogether. And yet in like the third paragraph, um, they actually say that here's our proposal, here are our recommendations, um, and that we think this should be a trial option next year, not as a replacement for the spring auctions not as a replacement so you know i had to i had to kind of reread those first couple of paragraphs because i thought for sure they were going to say we need to get rid of this it's terrible horses are breaking down et cetera, et cetera. so the fact that early on in the in the summary um in the proposal they said it's not as a replacement that that made me kind of relax a little bit and feel a little bit better um you know they, they go on to say that they wanted to have auctions for two-year-olds in training or for or they're calling it for race training that's the one word change is race um and uh and basically offer it in the fall um you know there there are some pros and cons we can talk about for that but their philosophy is if we give horses more time to develop if we don't force feed them to try to make sure that they breeze 10 flat or faster um you know which is unnatural at that age unneeded, quite frankly, because um, horses will never do that again. You're never going to see a horse, you know, going nine and three or nine and four for the first eighth of a mile of a six furlong uh, race. Um, and and the horses are being pushed to get to that threshold um, unnaturally. So I, I am in total accord with that. I think that that makes sense. You want to give horses as much time as possible um, in order to develop. Now, the, the The problem that I have and and I hate being the person where you know here's a solution that's being promoted, and all you do is tear it down and you don't have another solution i don't I don't have another solution unfortunately other than if you were to say we're going to abolish the two year old sales altogether or we're not going to allow horses to breeze anything less than three eighths of a mile or a half a mile, um, which would then have to alter the the schedule a little bit but the concerns that that I have about PETA's proposal is number one, if you have two year old training auctions in the fall, it's just a very unnatural time for owners, trainers, and and pin hookers to try to be there when you have the biggest yearling sales going on. Um, And just from a, from a logistics standpoint, you're not gonna be able to get everybody bouncing around the countryside from Kentucky to Saratoga back to Kentucky to, you know, to OBS, uh, down in Ocala, it's just not, it's just not a, a natural flow. Um, number two is you're not going to be able to budget for it. Um, so if you're spending a lot of money on yearlings in September, you know, July, August, September, and then you're also going to have to save some money for the two-year-old sales. One, if not both of those uh, groups of horses are going to suffer as far as from a, from a bankroll standpoint, people just aren't going to be able to afford to buy all of them. Um, and the third thing, Joe, that, that I would have a concern about is if we, if we push the sales to be you know, cataloged or calendared, excuse me, um, in the fall, well, then for all intents and purposes, those horses are not going to really be able to compete for any big races as two-year-olds, which means the Future Star Friday, which is a staple now for the breeder's cup and a staple for the industry, um, is, is going to be irrelevant because you're not going to have enough horses to be able to run, um, that they'll qualify into, into those races in the, the first weekend of November. If people are trying to buy those horses in September or October, it's just logistically not, not feasible. So, you know, I like the idea. I like the science behind what they have to say about giving horses more time to develop. I am totally behind that. Um, I don't think it's realistic to say, let's abolish the spring sales altogether, which they didn't do. They didn't say, but in essence, you know, they're wanting to have these two-year-old sales calendared later on the year, which is impractical aside from the point that like pinnockers don't want to have to borrow money for an entire calendar year. Um, and, and, you know, and run up those bills and everything like that, and, and still not know if they're going to make, make their money back. That, that's, that's totally counterintuitive to the entire pinnocking um you know process and uh, and and ways of making money i have more stuff joe but i want to go back and forth cuz i really want to hear what else you have to say about this
0: yeah i mean i think I, i'm i'm on your side that i think this <clears throat> logistically is going to be a major major challenge because of the way the two year old racing calendar is structured i think the the goal to do something like this would ultimately, ultimately be to push back the start of horses careers and I just don't think that that's something you know two-year-old racing has been around for a 100 plus years you know Saratoga has been this you know the the launching pad for a lot of great horses during their two-year-old racing, that it just it, you're you're asking for a huge, huge culture shift, not just in the sale sector, but in the racing sector as well. And I think that that that's going to be too much for a lot of people to abide by. I think the main thing too it, it is not necessarily the placement on the calendar. It's it's the the furlong breezes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just you go through some of the quotes, and you know you you know, there's a quote here. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up in a second. Um, about how you know yeah you, you're buying a survivor basically you're not necessarily you know it's bloodstock agent Roland Ba who says this he says they'll never go 10 flat again in their lives and if they do they won't win the race you're buying a survivor a survivor is good on the one hand that it survived but what things have already been done to the horse that you'd prefer not to have done and i think there's it's just no correlation like they're saying between being able to run nine and four and being able to win the kentucky derby or or a big classic race like that like that's the data i would like to see honestly because you know it's it's very hard there's so many two-year-old breezes and so many two-year-old sales that it's i haven't done the research obviously but what where is the correlation between nine and four or nine and three breezes and superstar success i honestly do not see it all that often i'm just trying to think off the top of my head gamine was one of the few she ran nine and three i believe and was a multi-million dollar horse at the two-year-old sale she was a multi-million dollar earner but other than that, I can't think off the top of my head in the last five, ten years, a bunch of horses who blew out at the two-year-old sale, going nine and four, and went on to become superstar champion horses. And it just—it's so—it's illusory, and it's not, a, like I said, not core, not a correlation between going fast on in March or April and then being able to go fast three-year-old year, or four-year-old year. That's my question: is whether or not people have done the research and have the data to back that up because I know there are there are people West Point included who have backed off a little bit on the two-year-old sales and started to buy yearlings because we've had more success for for, with yearlings because they're like a lump of clay you can mold you can put them in your program bring them along at your own pace and that to me I think brings a sounder more full horse to the races as a two-year-old and I know I would love to see the data that that any any data that shows what the race results of nine and four fifths and nine and three fifths breezers are over time because in general yeah it's flashy it's fun to watch it's exciting but does it make great race horses? i haven't seen that and i think that there's there's a lot to be said about that about whether or not this means anything for the horse's career and if it doesn't then we shouldn't be pushing them through those times that early in their lives
1: and joe you know, you sit there and you say, "If we did an analysis on not only the horses that that breeze in nine and three, nine and four, ten flat, and how did they, you know, succeed or fail in the races, um, that that certainly is a very interesting report and set of uh, information that that I would actually like to see." Um, Peter loses me when they try to sensationalize this. This merit or this issue as well. When they say, you know, that three-year-old graduates of the of two-year-old training sales Maple Leaf Mel having a meltdown, um, and uh, and and Ensemble um, all broke down, and they were, you know, they they went through the sales. Well, that that's that's true. Okay, they all went through two-year-old sales. What they're not saying is that that's three horses out of literally three thousand two-year-olds that sold during those respective sales. So it's not even 1%, it's 0.1% of the horses that break down. That, in the example they used, um, you know, they go through two-year-old and training sales and, and break down. Now, I know it's a higher rate than that, um, but it's not 10%. It's not 20%. It's not 100%. The example they gave, it's 0.1%. And just to compare that, there were actually more grade one winners that came out of those sales, Joe. There were seven. Grade one winners that came out of those three sales, so I could spin it as there are more. The two-year-old sales are great because there's more grade one winners coming out of those sales than any other sale in the country. Like so, you, you can't you can't try to. They had a good message. They had a really winning argument in my in my estimation, but they screwed around with it by trying to get cute and show the correlation between, you know, they could also say, well, all three horses were dark Bay or Brown. We should eliminate all, all dark Bay or Brown horses. Cause obviously that has something to do with them breaking. It, it's, it's not, it's, it's not uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Joe. It, it's not causal. It's not a causal and effect yeah. situation. Yep. Um, the other thing that, that they, that actually got annoyed about and, and they, they lost me on is, you know, they, they're quoting horsemen and horsewomen um, about, you know, how bad these sales are. But the quotes that they're giving, for the most part, like Mark Roberts, who's a, who's a dear friend of mine and breaks horses for us down in Florida, they quoted him for, twice in this article from 2007. You know what what's going on in 2007 that made Mark say what he said about not wanting to breeze horses at a two-year-old training sale? It's because at the time, his employer, Adina Springs, was having a gallop up sale. So, of course, he has to say, you know, this is why we're different. So it's out of context. It's not fair. You know, they have Scott Blasey in there who, you know, longtime assistant trainer, they have him quoted from 2009. Um, you know, Joe Clancy who, you know, I've never met Joe Clancy. I know he writes for the mid Atlantic thoroughbred, but in relevancy of our industry is the mid Atlantic thoroughbred, you know, comparable to any of the other better, you know, more, more well-read, you know, um, periodicals. Um, you know and then and then you know goes on to have other people in here like there's an owner in here that's run 14 starts in his entire career and he's and he's quoted in here there's a blood psych agent that hasn't bought a horse for more than a hundred thousand dollars in forever that's quoted in here so they lose they lose the message to me as an insider in the industry when they have people that they have to they either have they have to go so far down the totem pole to get to somebody to say you know the ills of this of of, of tutor and training sales or they have to cherry pick quotes from literally two decades ago to try to work their narrative. And that's what pisses me off. If they just came out and they had a two pager without all these quotes or with a, with the legitimate quote from Boyd Browning or Becky Thomas or John Kimmel, people who are known in the industry and are well respected in the, in the, in the, the modern day industry. Um, if they had those quotes in there, then it would be a message that would be, Much more palatable for me because it's like, hey, these people are movers and shakers in the industry. Not they had to cherry pick stuff from you know from 20 years ago to try to fit their narrative. That that's what that's what annoys me about PETA. And and to me, they lost me at that point. I didn't even want to hear the rest of their solution because I know it's it you know it it was these bullshit quotes and stuff that that just you know kind of pulled me away from it. (laughs)
0: I was I was impressed with the quotes. I didn't realize so many of them were so far from so far in the past. I will say Joe Clancy is I think is one of the better turf writers we have. He also does the Saratoga special. Um, So I don't I don't don't want this to to be dumping on Joe Clancy. But no, no, not at all. Not at all. But but, you know, I, I think, John, you know, I don't I don't disagree with your point. But if you gave everybody at the Ocala sale truth serum. And ask them what they thought about whether or not this is what horses should be doing before sometimes in cases before they even turn two, it should be drilling them as hard as they can to go nine and four or ten and ten flat to get at the highest possible sale price. If you gave them truth serum and asked, "Should we be doing this? Is this hundred percent ethical?" Mm-hmm. I think most of them would tell you no. Absolutely. I so I, Absolutely. I, well, I agree yeah. with your overarching point. Like I think you know, it's it's not necessarily as relevant when. I think this is what people feel, whether or not yeah. the quote are yeah. from a
1: long time ago or not. Right. But I, I, I agree with you. And I think not even true serum. And you can ask me who has been very active in two year old sales, both on buying and selling. And I don't think it's good to have two year olds, you know, breezing 10 flat faster than that, um, you know, so early on in their in their lives. I, I don't think it's a good idea. That being said, because a lot of people feel that way. PETA could have just as easily called a couple of the top trainers or a couple of the top current pinnickers. And gotten that same quote and then it would have been more relevant. I hear what you're saying. The, me- the message, the message is the message. Don't don't shoot the messenger in this case, because the message is still true you know, throughout. Um, and and was one. Oh, so the other thing is, let's say that all or the majority of horsemen agree that we shouldn't have these horses breezing so early in their two year old career. Some of them aren't even 24 months old when they're breezing at the two year old training sales. So logically, then, if that's based on science and based on logic and based on, you know, the the the, the tenets that we all agree with, then why do we have two year olds races in April? And why does Keeneland and Churchill have a full day of two year old racing, um, you know, before the Triple Crown and New York has it? And I know racetracks, it's impossible to get races to go. It's really difficult. So they have to have two year old races. But, Joe, you tell me we talked about horses that breeze in 10 flat or faster and how well they do i i I dare you to give me more than one example of a horse that won in april or may of their two-year-old year year and went on to win a grade one there there isn't any to my mind
0: i think forte was an early two-year-old
1: but didn't forte Um, didn't forte well but was he was he a two-year-old training horse
0: Mm, good question. I, mean, I, know, I, he, I know he was—he he had an early debut. Let's let's look it up real quick yeah, while we're while we're while we're talking this is, about this is this is, this is, is a great television. As I look up things exactly. right on the internet, as as people right. are saying, no, you're right. He was he was a Keelan September yearling. So okay, yeah, I, that's that's a good point. But I'm interested in hearing for once from Patty Wolf, our producer, right. because Patty's someone who. You know, she has a background in racing. Oh, there she is in her Sunday hey. best. <laughs> so embarrassed to be on air. Like, I did not prepare for this. I'm um, embarrassed so, for I'm you. So I'm
2: embarrassed for you both that you, it came to you begging me to come back on. <laughs>
1: to be Beetlejuice, clear, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh. <laughs> if
2: I'm red, if I'm red, it's on your behalf. Okay. Go ahead, no, she,
0: she, she finally made it back on air after one week off. I know it was killing her. Um, but I'm interested to hear Patty's point of view because Patty has some background in racing but that's not her sole background she's a Renaissance woman who's done all sorts of TV and sports all over the world she comes upon racing I think mostly as a hobby you know she's she's done some things in racing that have have gotten her paid but this is not like her main source of income Patty you know you've been down to the two-year-old sales a bunch you've shot footage down there you've seen it inside and out like when you read the PETA piece, where, where where did that fall on your opinion scale?
2: Okay, so I didn't get into the weeds of it and I respect I respect John your opinion, but I disagree with the with getting down on it because here's my thing. For once, they approach something as a negotiation and not as a horse racing's evil, shut it down, we cannot have horse racing, let's get all these votes, let's get it out like all I've heard through these years has been how to get rid of horse racing. And then when I read this report, I thought, oh wait, they're asking for to come to the table and 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 negotiate these points. And I will say, yes, they they don't seem negotiable on their positions and John's point of it being difficult to enact, sure. But I think it's an opening here to work. and I it made me feel good like there might be a little diplomacy
0: i will say like just as i said in the beginning like i agree with you honestly but like i said if you google search it like it's below two very sensationalized headlines with videos of horses breaking down so i think they can't help themselves sometimes but i agree that like a good idea is a good idea and it's not necessarily you know know, wherever it comes from like if this sport is really reform-minded the way that A lot of people say, including us, it it is now like this is an idea that should be taken into consideration. No,
2: I think every idea needs to be taken into consideration. I think if anything is going to save particularly the babies, um, it has to be taken into consideration. Like and I do like that for once we're standing on the same side of of a line here. I think horse racing is filled with animal lovers. It's one of the reasons I love the sport. And I think we need to show that and to constantly fight each other and not come to a solution, I don't think is a good idea. It's just me.
1: Right. Right. And and between this and and also when we talked to Lisa Lazarus last week about Haiza and that Haiza is going to continue their uh, influence with regard to two year old and training sales. uh, There there are some reforms that are on the immediate horizon um, that could make it safer and better for everyone who participates in in two-year-old and training sales so i think patty your point is well taken that we're all trying to move in the same direction and for the first time and i can remember um PETA is actually saying we're not looking to just shit can your entire industry we're looking to try to make it better for all participants and and in that case i think it's really good i just i got i got lost in in the in the silly quotes that they had in there you know from from people who haven't been relevant in the industry for a long time when as joe said it very well if they asked more relevant people um you know what their thoughts are they would probably get similar quotes so it's not a matter of like we needed to hold on to this message because now it was back then it was good now it's not um, i think they just got i don't know if it was lazy or they had exactly what they wanted and dates be damned, we're gonna go ahead and, and say this is really, you know, this is really important for the industry. But yeah, the bottom line is that we're all trying to move in the direction of things being safer. And I don't remember PETA ever coming in and saying, like, we're not looking to abolish, we're looking to assist. I think some people are worried that this is like a Trojan horse type thing
0: where they had they they now have gotten to the point where they're they're proposing minor reforms that'll eventually become abolishment. But as as it stands right now, it's a very reasonable proposal, I think, with a lot of good points. And you should go read it. Go to railtalkmedia.com, click join the conversation, check it out. You can comment, you can DM us, tweet at us, whatever. We'd love to hear your thoughts because it is a nuanced issue that I think a lot of people with good intentions can defer can 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 differ on. So we want to hear what you think on railtalkmedia.com. Yeah.
2: And it's real easy to find on our website. Real easy. Yeah. We're yeah. gonna keep it front and center. So and Thank if you, you agree
1: with my comments, you can direct message me personally. <laughs> if you don't, then yeah, just go to the go to the website. If you don't, then fuck off. I don't want
0: to hear off from you. you. Right. <laughs> rail talk is sponsored by taylor made taylor made was the leading consigner at both the facing tipton and keeneland november sales that is a major major accomplishment they sold 35 horses at facing november for a total of 22.965 million dollars and 262 at keeneland for over 22.8 million dollars i mean this is this is the 26th time since 1987 that they've been on top at the keeneland november sale i mean just year after year they prove why they're the best in the business and you know they they do it with a smile they do they have fun they're honest and they're transparent and they care for their customers the team members and particularly the horses like their family and you know they're always looking for a better way to do things john has talked all about the marketing campaign that they had for wonder wheel and they just have have a great team from top to bottom who will treat your horse like it's the most important horse in the barn so i just I just want to extend a heartfelt congratulations to the whole taylor family and everybody at taylor made for a phenomenal phenomenal year of sales and you're going to get started again soon in the new year but for now have a great holiday season and enjoy all the fruits of your labor you guys do a great job every single year can't wait to see what you do in 2024. Uh, we should do a, start doing a regular segment called like bug up my ass or be in my bonnet or something it's like something I got to get off of my chest because it just happens seemingly every single week in this industry. Now, I got one thing and John's got one thing that we want to get off our chest for this week. For me, it's. Churchill Downs and the way that they've handled the turf course. Now, obviously the turf is a fucking disaster. This was a $10 million turf course that they announced that they were building three years ago. It's been in semi operation for about two years now, and they just can't keep the thing together. I think at this point, you got to rip it up and you got to start all over again. And John, I don't. <sighs> maybe it's just me i don't remember there being huge problems with their turf course in the past like i just it didn't seem like something that was a necessary capital improvement i could be wrong there like for example for example gulfstream is installed a new turf course and i'm excited to see how that goes uh they're starting the championship meet on friday that, I think most people could agree, Gulfstream needed a new turf course, just like Fairgrounds needs a new turf course. I didn't think Churchill Downs needed one, and now it's a complete mess, a complete disaster. If you haven't seen, they've barely run any turf racing all year, and they, they ran one turf race on Thursday, on Thanksgiving, in the Cardinal Stakes, and it was a freaky race. Charita Vaux had a horse win by 10 lengths, and that might be a really, really nice horse, but it just struck me as that was the only horse that handled the turf, and jockeys have complain consistently about it being loose and slippery and unsafe. And then, so what did they do Friday? They canceled turf racing for the rest of the weekend. Now they had a lot of turf racing scheduled for that weekend. And a lot of horses, including West Point's own Ohana Honor, had already shipped in for the Commonwealth Turf on Sunday just for them to pull the plug. And now he's got to ship again and then hopefully find another spot like just cancel turf racing like clearly the jockeys were not comfortable with it just say we're not going to have any more turf racing until we figure this thing out and we're going to cart all these turf races for the dirt then I think people wouldn't have had a a problem with it they would understand they would enter their horses for the dirt when you keep pretending like you're going to have turf racing and then pull the plug at the last possible second it just screams incompetence and this is you know a lot of people in the comments were saying that this is karma for Churchill, you know, destroying Arlington and Calder and Hollywood Park. And I I would agree with that, except I think it's the horsemen that suffer. It's not really Churchill Downs because they still get to run these races. And it's the horsemen who pointed towards these turf races that now have to have an alternate plan and spend more money on shipping. It just was so fucking incompetent to me. And. It just seems like it's just pull the damn thing up and put on a new turf course. And if you can't have turf racing for a while, so be it. You still got a main track. You still got a lot of people that want to run dirt horses. I just hate the way this was handled. And it really makes Churchill Downs look like a bit of a joke.
1: John, what's the bug up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not it's not it's not the turf course at churchill downs although we did you know ship horses there also with the idea that we were going to start running on the turf because really um especially up and down the the east coast and the midwest there there ain't a lot of options if you want to run in the, on the turf um so you know kind of parenthetically that's why we left a couple of horses out in california um you know even even though it's on the other, other coast of the, of the country. And, and we're not gonna be able to see the horses run. At least you at least, you know, it's relatively guaranteed that you're going to run on the turf. If they, if they cart a race in the turf, um, Joe, I don't, I don't believe in the karma shit. It's not like, it's not like they put the, the turf course over an Indian burial ground. And, and now it's coming back to haunt them. Um, I, I just think that <laughs> you that, would think you though, know, with the way this turf course
0: has performed, you would think it was something like that.
1: Isn't it ironic that the only race that went on the turf was the Indian summer. Hmm. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, Peter would have a field day with that. They'd be like, "Did you see that? You know, all these horses came out of two-year-old in training sales, and that's why they're canceling." Ter-? All right, anyway, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think that that Church Downs obviously was trying to do the right thing by updating their their turf course, and um, I don't know if it had to do with the fact that. They were you know, they haven't been able to get a breeder's cup there in a little while. And they had to update the turf course in order to do it, because I just don't know if there's a publicly traded company that would voluntarily tear up a turf court, tear up a racetrack and then subsequently have to put tens of millions of dollars into it in order to to make it safer and better. But I think, Joe, that's probably what it is, because if you look at at the race venues that are getting the Breeders' Cup over the next four years, 23 being included, none of them are Churchill Downs. So I'm sure that, that was probably part of it. Um, but yeah, it, it's you can say incompetency. You can say maybe they were just over being overly concerned about safety because of the environment we're in right now, and they just figured – if the jockeys are upset about it and it's uh, unsafe footing or uneven footing, then we just need the shit can and, and kind of start all over. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly where the truth lies. It could be. One but like, or, but or then do of that.
0: It. Do that to begin with. Don't wait until yeah. Friday of the weekend of your final weekend of turf racing and then say, oh, well, yeah. by the way, these, this turf course that we've had all these concerns about all along, we're not going to run like no shit, Sherlock. I could have told you that weeks ago that the jockeys right. were not going to be OK with it. Anyway, continue.
1: Yeah no, no no I mean it, you you've 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 taken the major parts you've nailed the major parts of of the discussion um and I can see why it's a bug up your ass especially when you when you ship horses in there and with the expectations of like you know they're not machines you're getting a horse geared up for a race that date and uh you know it wasn't because of rain it wasn't because of 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 tornadoes no where they, where they didn't have a, they didn't have a choice. You know, mother nature beat them up and they couldn't handle it. Um, it, this was, this was man made. This was their own doing. Um, the thing that, that I have a bug up my ass about is Marcus Vitale. And, and how is this guy getting licenses? let alone getting stalls. And I know that, you know, we're still some racetracks are outside of HISA because of the jurisdiction they're in. Some are some are HISA. Some of them, you know, have a little stronger racing office. So they're they're not granting uh, licenses. Others may look the other way. But, you know, you, you can have a Marcus Vitali who has literally tens of dozens of. Medication issue, medication violations on top of other administrative violations, The guy actually gave up his strategy was he gave up his license so he wouldn't have it be suspended because you can't technically suspend the license that you've given up with the idea that he was going to skirt the rules and get around the system and be able to come back another time. But the thing that really pisses me off, Joe, isn't even so much Marcus Vitale and the fact that he had another horse that broke down. It's that owners and specifically one owner cross saber farm that continually feeds him horses and continually has him buy horses for them. And it, it's just at, at some point in time, if you don't, if you don't know your trainer is doing things unethically, you know, then, then shame on you. But really the moment that you find out that they're doing things that are detrimental to your horses, to your investment, then, you know, it, 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 it you should be the one to go ahead and pull the plug on it, on, on that, on that relationship. But, Cross Sabres Farm, Carolyn Vogel, never met her in my life, wouldn't know if I ran into her. As far as I'm concerned, is just as culpable as Marcus Vitale because she continues to feed him horses. She's an enabler and she's like aiding and abetting this guy. And it, she's not the only one, but she was the she's the, the 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 largest one, the one that's been with him the longest. And, you know, you can you can look if if you Google it and you say, Karen Vogel, uh, Marcus Vitale, there are quotes of hers. Online that talk about the fact that you know yeah shame on me but you know Marcus said that this was just an administrative issue or yeah you know he said that this was a this was a problem and it was contaminant or yeah that the when when they raided his barn he uh, he grabbed up a uh, you know a, a jar and and ran out and it was because his groom had marijuana in it and right, I remember that one that was a great one yeah. so so like you know fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me 86 times because that's how many violations he has. Then really it's got to fall on you. It's, and, and I don't want to put people out of business. Vitelli deserves not to be in the business. I mean, he, and he's proven it time and time again. You look at what he's done to skirt the issues, how many times he's, he's been, you know, found in violation, who he associates with as far as. You know, who he hires to have is, quote unquote, paper trainers for him um, that also have a, a litany of a laundry list of, of violations. And you just say at some point in time, I know why the general public doesn't like the industry. It's because of stories like this and, and just that we enable it as an industry and, and more specifically, the owners of the world. And I'm an owner. The owners of the world are aiding and abetting once they know what's going on
0: yeah and we talked about the 60-minute story and how we thought it paid and painted racing in an unfair light considering all the reforms that have been taken on and all the positive momentum that we have but until guys like marcus vitale are no longer in this business we have not done enough and you know like you say the owners are just as culpable as the racetracks as the as the racing commissions, like when the Jason Servers and Horry Navarro indictments came down, you had all these owners pretending to be shocked at what they found. Like this is, you know, it's on you. Look yourself in the fucking mirror and say and figure out whether or not you're a part of the problem or you're a part of the solution. It's a binary thing, man. It is not complicated in this regard. You gotta be able to look yourself in the mirror and say that. I think most people in this business can look themselves in the mirror and sleep at night knowing they're doing right by the horses. But guys like Marcus Vitale are not. And the owners who are giving him horses, to me, that they should they should have the same treatment as he does, and they should be you know ushered out of the industry as quickly as possible. Rail Talk is sponsored by Facing Tipton. Facing Tipton's night of the stars was a huge success, but we turned the page to an exciting couple of sales. Left here in 2023, and then a huge burgeoning sale calendar in 2024. We've got the Mid Atlantic December mix and Horses of Racing Age Sale in Timonium next week, December 5th, and we've got the December Digital Sale, which is December 7th through the 12th. The entries close November 29th, with which might be tomorrow or today, depending on when you're watching this or yesterday. In which case, you can ignore this. No, but if you're watching it on the 28th or the 29th, you have just a bit of time to enter horses for the facing Tipton digital sale I mean facing Tipton launched a sale online sales platform facing Tipton digital in 2022 and it allows users from across the country around the world to buy and sell horses without moving the stock from the farm the training center or the racetrack and they got approximately 10 million dollars in gross generated during their first year doing digital sales become one of the leading online sales marketplaces for thoroughbred racing and breeding stock John Green has taken advantage of it and DJ stable has as well over the year over the over the year and plus that it's been in in existence it's a great way to get turnkey horses as we say so the entries close November 29th the sale is December 7th through the 12th and just to take a quick peek at what we got coming up in early 2024 the kentucky winter mix sale is in lexington february 5th and the 6th then you got another digital sale the february digital sale february 15th through the 20th the march digital sale the april digital sale ton of digital sales on the calendar to get you through these kind of lower these lull months on the racing calendar and get you prepped and reloaded for 2024 no place better in the business to get those turnkey horses than the facing tipton digital sales had to talk about this performance before we wrap up today we had one of the honestly to me the most exciting horse of 2024 or 2023 i've already forgotten what year it is and one of the most exciting horses of this decade so far equinox equinox has been just a Absolute standout superstar horse in Japan and outside of Japan a little bit this year. Uh, he won the Dubai Shima classic. If you remember earlier this year going wire to wire and he had potentially his swan song on Sunday in the Japan cup and he was just incredible gallop by four lengths. You know, it was not a soft field. You have the triple tiara winner Liberty Island in that race and he just dusted her. Granted, she's a three-year-old, but still. And he was just unbelievable. This probably is his swan song. There's a chance that he's going to run one more time in the Arima Kinen, which is December 24th at Nakayama, um, going a mile and seven 716th. Uh, that's what Deep Impact did deep impact after at the end of his career had his swan song in that race and deep impact is obviously the standard bearer i think for all great japanese horses but equinox is just so much fun to watch he's so beautiful dude like this is one of those horses that is just you know he's pitch black with that big white blaze down his face seems like a very very cool customer as well john there's three things i look for when i measure greatness with a horse it's speed consistency and versatility and equinox has all of those in spades he's obviously the fastest horse in the world he's run 10 times he's won eight he's run second twice so he always shows up and his versatility like i said he went wire to wire in the shima classic and then in this race in the japan cup they had a horse just blast out to the front by like 20 lengths no problem just sat there chilling till he got his cue from christophe lemare and then just galloped by the front runner and kicked away and just did it as easy as you could possibly do he's a joy to watch i'm sad that we're not going to get to see him in 2024 and you can see how much he meant to the connections like there's some video on twitter of christophe lemare and the trainer at tetsuya kimura just crying bawling their eyes out bringing him back after the race just it really shows you how special he is and how special horses can be to people when these come along um john you know just some some quick comments on, on what you saw from equinox
1: Well, Joe, you mentioned, you know, what you look for in a racehorse and and Equinox certainly checks all those boxes Um, for, for, for students of the game, I would encourage you to watch the majority of the horses races, um, especially the last few races where he's, he's really peaked athletically, because what you see is a, is about as efficient of a horse, uh, moving as, as I've seen. Um, and, and you don't realize until you look at the clock, you don't realize just how fast he's going. And, and to me, that's the measure. That's the eye test of, of a really good horse is that, uh, you know, you think that they're moving in slow motion because they're just so fluid and and they have such a long stride and an over an overreach. And he just gobbles up, Distance with every single stride that he has, um, and he's striking, like you said he, he reminds me a little bit of Sunday silence in the way that he looks, you know with the, the almost black with the, with the white um, and and it's a horse that that brought a racing community together, um, you know people it was must see tv to to watch the horse run, and you know we we just had one of those with flight line. Um, you can argue that maybe cody's wish was was similar as far as horses that you really wanted to watch when they were racing, but from a pure athleticism standpoint, watch Equinox run and win and watch his turn a foot and then look at his fractions and you 're going to shake your head you're going to be like the clock is broken there's no way that he was going this fast
0: he's unbelievable man like he, he's just just one of the most exciting horses I've ever seen run and I think your point about the community is is a is a really strong one too because you watch those races and that place is Hacked Mm -hmm. 80,000, 90,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs for this horse. It's kind of like going back in time, watching Japanese racing, especially when they have a horse who is that good. The entire country rallies around and it's just like you know like I said it's going it's like going back in time to the days of Secretariat and Seabiscuit when horses could really capture an entire nation's imagination and passion and Equinox did that for Japan and obviously his talent was was so supersonic and otherworldly that it caught the attention of the rest of the racing planet as well and you know he's gonna he's gonna be missed but we're we're very blessed to be able to see him run and as John said Go we'll watch his replays if you're not too familiar with him. because, damn it, is he special. I uh, just wanted know, to touch on some of the racing Let me ask you Go
1: one ahead. more question with, with regard – it's a serious question with, with regard to Japanese racing. So over the past 10, 15 years, the Japanese have been very aggressive about buying top bloodstock, primarily Phillies, but top bloodstock here in the States. And two years ago, they came over and, and won their first Breeders' Cup race, if I remember correctly. And last year, they had – this past you know, uh, Breeders' Cup, they had a number of entries – Do you think that there's going to be a time or when in the future do you think is probably a better question when they're going to have a legitimate derby contender?
0: yeah I mean I think it's sooner rather than later that we're going to see a, a Japanese horse be a real contender for the for the Kentucky Derby like you said we've already seen them raid the Breeders Cup and not just with big long shots we've seen them with some pretty well-bet horses in the Breeders Cup the last couple of years and that was another story that that came out over the weekend was we had a white horse who might be in the Kentucky Derby from Japan another a horse named Amante Bianco who won the first race on the uh, the Japan's road to the Kentucky Derby so that would be fascinating if he could get to the Derby but yeah I just you know, like you say I think especially with them buying more American stock more classic dirt pedigrees especially with the Phillies that it's only a matter of time before Japan has not just the contender but maybe the favorite for the Kentucky <laughs> Derby I think that that's going to happen sooner rather than later and you know it's God willing they'd all be as as good and as beautiful as Equinox because you know he, he was just incredible but yeah keep an eye out for Amante Bianco It's by Henny Hughes actually a really? american stallion that, yeah that, that we remember well great sprinter slash seven for a long mile horse um so monte bianco might be in the kentucky derby starting gate as a white horse which we haven't seen i don't think ever um but just to move on quickly to what we got going on this weekend this is the last big weekend of 2023 as I mentioned earlier we have the Gulfstream Championship Meet opening and we look forward to all those 3-year-old preps in early 2024 but it's Cigar Mile Day Saturday at Aqueduct hurts my heart a little that the Cigar Mile is now a grade 2 you know I especially seeing how bad the Clark is like the Clark has gotten worse and worse every year, and I feel like the cigar miles fields have been pretty consistent. So I'm a little bummed out about that. But nevertheless, still five hundred thousand dollar race going a mile, obviously. Then there's the Demoiselle for two year old Phillies, the Remsen for two year old Colts to go for wand. And you got some action on the West Coast as well. Uh, Hollywood Derby. Don't you, isn't Web Slinger running in that race, John?
1: Webby is out there and hopefully he's gonna be one of the favorites, along with one or two horses coming uh, westward from the Chad Brown barn.
0: Go get them, John.
1: Go get them, DJ Stable.
0: So look forward to that, the Hollywood Derby and the Jimmy Durandy Stakes also this Saturday at Del Mar. So enjoy the last big weekend of racing this year. We're going to do, I think, one or two more shows. We'll take a little bit of holiday break and then full steam ahead into 2024. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's episode of Rail Talk. But before I go, did you know that Argentina is home to a growing glacier? It's one of the few growing glaciers in the world. A lot of them are shrinking and melting, but they have a glacier that's one of the few advancing ones left in the world. grows about two meters a day. Just another reason to go visit Argentina, which I'm saying.
1: Is that because I watched um, Patty in the music video? Is that why it's growing?
0: oh god Do i gotta leave on that note Ugh! and now i need a shower but anyway thanks for <laughs> watching rail talk episode 20. we made it to 20 episodes appreciate all y'all for tuning in every week the empire only continues to grow thanks in large part to our sponsors basic tipton green group tailor-made as well as Aryan pedigrees and black dog bloodstock thanks to john green my co-pilot thanks to our producer patty wolf who got back on the show today. She can sleep well at night that she got some air time again. Thanks to our associate producers, Anthony LaRocca, Aliyah LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. And again, thanks to all the viewers and the listeners letting us get on and talk a little shit every single week. We have a great time doing it. Uh, I won't be back next week. I'm going on a European vacation if I don't catch COVID. Um, So fingers crossed and knock on wood for that. Uh, But John and I will be back soon. I'll have a little bit more content for you to close out the new year. Thanks for watching. See you soon.